When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi. Once again, Distractions Media is raising money to go to Gen Con, a convention in Indianapolis which uh, takes place in August. We will be doing so via a live stream on June 23rd. If you want to find out more details, you can find out at distractionsmedia.com. There's a link that says June live stream. Please check it out and uh, please join us. We would appreciate it. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast and thank you for being a part of it. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to the Welsh History Podcast, Episode 80, Powys Supreme. For the past 20 episodes or so, we've talked a lot about the kingdoms of Gwyneth and the ascension and destruction, really, of the kingdom of Doithbarth. Uh, we're going to go back and revisit some of the March-controlled areas of Wales in the next episode, talk a little bit more in depth about what's going on in the Norman-covered and conquered areas and kind of how things are transitioning because there are some unique things that are going on there some developments which we briefly discussed uh, actually in the uh, last episode talking about uh, the welsh crusades but we're going to go more in depth and especially about people like gerald of wales and kind of what he means to the overall welsh uh, story um, because he's perceived as being almost traitorous in some people's point of view so it all depends on on how you look at it but we'll go back and talk about that next time. Uh, today, what do we want to talk about is a bit about Powys. Now, Powys has been a kingdom for a long time. It At this point, it's been around for hundreds of years. It basically disappeared at points in history. It, it ceased to exist in effect because it got conquered by Mercia at one stage. It was almost completely destroyed at one point, at least evidentially in the 900s uh, and in the 7th century and 8th centuries it kind of flittered in and out it's kind of been the kingdom where where those that were siblings of kings of Gwyneth went uh, and they became kings here and they sort of associated with each other of course we know that that uh, that was the case during the takeover of Doithbarth by the sons of uh, of Angharad and uh, the others uh, a while ago. So there is that aspect. And, and certainly, like, Hule, for example, was a king of Powys as well as Doithbarth and, and Gwyneth at one stage, however briefly that was. Uh, so there is kind of a precedent of it being a lesser kingdom, a smaller kingdom in some respects. But the reality of it is, is much like Doithbarth, much like... Uh, 
many of the kingdoms actually in Wales, there's there's been waxing and waning points for them, points where they've been strong, points when they've had uh, significant influence on the history of Wales, and this is no exception for Powys. In fact, Powys, at the end of the 11th century, is actually on the upswing. Their their kings are in charge of a large territory. They're dealing with confrontations with the end of the Gwynedd dominance of Wales. Uh, they have moved in and, and their kings have kind of become the overlords of the rest of the kingdoms as the Normans invade. And in fact, when the Normans start to take control of much of Wales in the south, uh, Powys is one of the few kingdoms that's able to hold their own, continue to be a dominant factor in an era when most of the other kingdoms are either in disarray, consistently getting invaded, uh, didn't have the ability to really stop the Normans at any point. Powys at least is considered to be a big enough kingdom that it actually has to be treated with quite often by the by William Rufus, for example, and Henry the First. They they don't ignore them the way they do some of the others. And of course, Gwyneth at this stage is a basket case of kings switching in and out. You have the the whole problem with with them effectively not even being a kingdom for a while and just being sort of a, a rump of a seat. Um, and so in a way, that's why Powys is able to slip into that void and vacuum. It's why kings like Owain and Merduth are able to come in and make an impression on everyone because at the end of the day uh without this vacuum i think gwyneth would have maintained its hold and control over a lot of wales and the chaos that ensues within the norman period may not have been as big of a deal for wales i wonder i i question actually a little bit if if the kingdoms of wales had been strong enough if they'd been able to to put up a better defense than they ended up doing simply because of that lack of strength on the on the west coast of course, we've talked about in the past Cadogan, who was a king in Powys uh, in the end of the 11th century and into the beginning of the 12th century. His descendants actually run Powys for a while after that. Uh, the three main people being, of course, Owain and uh, Meredith, and how they, along with Madog, kind of ruled the area for a while in kind of a sh what seemed to be a shared kingdom, even if some of them were higher than others. And of course, Madog ends up being captured and, and finds himself blinded and uh, by 1112 is out of the picture. So it's really only Meredith and, and Owain who are the, the larger representatives for Powys at this point. But for 40 years, basically, Powys is going to run things, and they're going to be in charge of a lot of the defense of Wales. They are the ones who set up the allegiances with various people. They're the ones who kind of uh, provoke uh, the marcher lords through Edwin and his son, Owain. Uh, they'll continue to sort of support tacitly and publicly some of what goes on during that era, now, of course, the death of Madog does cause problems for the uh, for the brothers because that then allows the division of the country to continue to create issues. Because, of course, Meredith and uh, Owain aren't going to share kingship; they're going to be uh, lords of various sizes. And in the midst of all of this, you have the Normans trying to put pressure on Powys to try and 
divide and conquer, which is something they will use strategically quite a lot over the next hundred years or so. This is a very obvious method to support one over another. Uh, Henry I definitely does this quite a lot. Um, and even as we get, we go from being ruled by multiple brothers to being ruled by one king, Powis will continue to struggle with this issue. And of course, in the midst of all of this, you have the return of Gwyneth, who become yet another power player in this whole situation. And that's another part of the problem, because as uh, these players continue to work against them, it continues to create problems for them. And Griffith, for example, as we talked about a couple of episodes ago, isn't necessarily a, a person or an ally of Powis as much as he is trying to regain control of Gwyneth. And his ascendancy after uh, 1100 and his eventual kingdom will actually work against Powis and will work against these kings. So while they're having trouble dealing with the Marcher Lords, they're having to deal with the Earl of Chester and all of these kind of people, uh, they're also being encouraged to be opposed by Gwyneth, by the Normans. And there is accusations that basically say that Griffith was put in place in part to be a thorn in the side of Powis, which at the time had a lot of power. And if you think about it from living memory, I mean, that means that through the living memory of a lot of people, Powis has been a powerhouse. So, of course, this would be important. I mean, William Rufus was around the last time Powis stopped being a powerhouse and Gwyneth was a powerhouse. William the Conqueror, for heaven's sakes, was alive at that point. It's It's been a while. So you have this this massive change. And, and it's interesting because, of course, Powis sits on the border of Wales and England and, of course, is kind of the target for a lot of the invasion points. Uh, and, in fact, from the map, I mean, if it's to be believed, the boundaries of the map of Wales sees Powis start out all the way up towards Chester and basically get moved farther and farther south so that it's more of a mid-Wales uh, position than it is a North Wales kingdom. Um, and it's Gwyneth who kind of moved into that area. Well, of course, after the fall of, of the kings of Gwyneth, you have little cantrips coming up and becoming more dominant, like Edwin and his son Owain. And these cantrips will, as I said, they'll be a problem for the English, but they're also a problem for the Welsh. So that's the reason why it took uh, Griffith ages to take all these places and to get control back. And... So in the midst of all of this, conflict and concern and, of course, the general tendency of various kings to make sure that they undermine Powys whenever they can, it becomes an issue for, for the area. Of course, as Powys is, is in this position, at the exact same moment that Gwyneth is rising again and rebuilding itself as, like, We've noted that the Marcher Lords have taken over southern Wales. In Britain, and especially in England, there's a division over the kingship, which happens at the death of Henry I. We have Matilda, his heir, who is supposed to be the Queen of England, and Stephen, who has taken up uh, the throne as cousin and uh, another heir to the throne, in effect. And the conflict between the two then brings in... Uh, 
Robert, the Earl of Gloucester, and it also brings in Ranaf, the Earl of Chester, who are basically trying to fight Stephen and fight for Matilda. Uh, in the midst of all this, the Welsh get involved, and it's at this point that Powys allies with Gwyneth to try and help their their erstwhile marcher lord allies. Now, of course, the question is, were they allies as in, was Powys in a position of strength? Or were they in a position of being dominated and having to match up to a feudal lord who has called them out? And that's a question we don't fully know. Um, but Madog Ap Merduth, who is at that time called the Lord of Powys by some, or the king, um, has with him Owain uh, Ap Griffith, the king of Griff of Gwyneth at the time. Um, but Owain, unlike his allies, didn't necessarily support any of those sides and seemingly kind of is there maybe to sort of see where everything is going down so that he can make decisions as to what his own maneuvers would be after that. Certainly, you do get the sense after this point that it's all downhill from here for Powys. Their, their high points as being leaders and causing trouble for the English, as they do on a couple of occasions, uh, sort of falls off. Of course, they lose the Battle of Lincoln, which creates part of the future problems for Powys because one of the problems is as being sort of the the overall lord or the battle leader for the Welsh allies is Madog has to be a winner. That's uh, a big thing in Welsh history. Being a winner is important. If you can show that you can win victory after victory after victory, you win a lot of loyalty. Well, that loss, I think, probably put some skepticism in the minds of a lot of people at that point. Um, and of course, that's a question that we have to look at. And of course, they were able to deal with some things. They, they took over the Osterwy castle, um, and helped rebuild that. He also gained the fortress at Whittington. So they are making progress. And up until 1146, Powys looks to have been growing quite a lot, or at least expanding out instead of contracting. But at this point, things will start to go poorly for them. And it's at this time that the King of Gwyneth, who we're going to get into a lot more about Owen Gwyneth later, uh, was exerting pressure on the borders of Powys and in 1149, um, even though Madog was a relation to him, and we know from Welsh history that hasn't mattered a whole lot, because um, brother kills brother quite often, uh, sisters and brothers to an extent have conflicted, cousins have conflicted, and so it becomes significant in the battle to take over uh, control of Wales. Of course, Owen is not going to sit back and allow familiar relations to be the only reason why he doesn't, you know, invade. And so in 18, 1149 and then 1150, he fights them at the borders. And unfortunately for him, uh, Henry II, of course, ascends to the throne. And Madog has to kind of 
work with him and and he ends up once again sort of almost being under the thumb of the English at this point, basically because he's dealing with now, after having been on the ascendancy, he's now on the descendants, descending side, and this is creating issues for him, and specifically around Gwyneth, because now Owain is the issue. Owain's the problem, and and for the lack of control that they now have, Powis really can't do very much. They have to kind of make allies where they can. So whereas before they were allies against uh Stephen with um the English and with the Welsh now they're on the other side of the line fighting against their former in quotes allies and they're looking for help so when Henry II invades Gwyneth uh in 1157 Madog will actually be one of the ones looking to take to join in that fight, in part, I think, because he thought he'd gain more of the land back that they'd had taken from them. Um, and he definitely is said to have tried to help Henry II on more than one occasion. So obviously by that point, Powis is feudally controlled by England and is no longer independent of the English dominance. They are effectively lords as opposed to kings as they're getting described as and and in effect they're not an individual nation they are instead becoming just another part of the overall english monarchy's domain and that's when you can kind of say that in all likelihood this is where powis meets its fate it isn't going to be over yet for them uh there's certainly time to come for that but Certainly by 1160, when Madog passes away, you know, the kingdom that his grandfather had built up, this dominant Welsh kingdom amongst all these Welsh kingdoms, is no longer there. And it's obvious that Gwyneth is ascending and it's at Powys's expense to some extent. And this is going to be the issue for them. And certainly there is... A lot of precedent for this happening in Wales, and especially at this point, you do see quite a number of kingdoms where the realities of circumstances force them into basically becoming feudally responsible to the kings of England and being controlled by marcher lords and controlled and dominated quite often by them. And whenever they try and gain a little bit of independence, uh, the marcher lords or the king will start to intervene and start to push their own agenda, be it through supporting a brother or a cousin for the throne to cause more chaos or to create problems of succession or, you know, pick any number of ideas and, and, and suggested ways that they will dominate them, much like they do with a lot of other places. So there is that problem. And certainly there's no doubt in a lot of people's mind that Powys, uh, which also becomes divided into upper and lower Powys by this point, is on the down and certainly is finding itself being on the losing end of most of this whole situation. So by 1160, we see Powys fade into being a lot less dominant and once again effectively either being affiliated with the English or affiliated with uh, Gwyneth 
And unfortunately for them, that's kind of where the story starts to end. The kingdom exists. There's still going to be people who lead it. But the reality of it is the successor kingdom is never as big as this kingdom. And unfortunately for them, uh, this will be a bit of an issue for them going forward. It will be an issue, obviously, for Gwyneth going forward, because now instead of having this buffer state between them and the English, there, there isn't that really anymore, and now they have to deal with the English straightforwardly. And, of course, this is going to lead to conflict, and for the next hundreds of years, next hundred years, it will be the dominant front uh, for Welsh independence. The battle will now become between the King of England and his retinue and Gwyneth, because Gwyneth is slowly becoming the last independent nation, the last remaining holdout against English dominance and I think we're seeing that even in the way that the name usage going from being kings of Britain and kings of a specific kingdom to becoming called lords and now they're getting called princes all of that is now changing over this period and we're going to see this change happen uh, as we talk more about Gwyneth and because of that change it causes us to lose something that we did have, which was an independence in these kingdoms and a dominance of these kingdoms over others. And we'll see that the, the, the ability of these kings is being boxed in by the Norman lords and their soon-to-be Plantagenet successors in how this is going to create what we will see as the final uh, destruction of Welsh independence in 1282. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you are a Patreon supporter, please go there. I've put up a video recently to try and uh, just chat with you guys about what we're doing going forward. And uh, I just want to give a shout out really quickly uh, to our Patreon backers. There are a number of them, which is just amazing. And I sure appreciate their help and support and and I just wanted to to give them a shout out. So let me shout out to Nathan Thomas, one of our newer uh, Patreon backers um, or supporters, uh, Jennifer Gatlin, uh, Sonia Mayer, and uh, Kaylin Jones. I appreciate your support over the last little while. And thank you so much for listening to our podcast and for helping us out. And if you want to help us out, you can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash Welsh history. And you can donate any donation is great. A dollar is, is wonderful, you know, or whatever you can afford is, is great. It does help me be able to purchase supplies and, and help get things to make this podcast better. And I really appreciate your assistance and your willingness to help me out. And even if you just forward links for me and, and listen to this podcast and send me suggestions, send me ideas, send me your thoughts. I appreciate them all. And until next time, everyone, take care. Bye-bye. This has been a Distractions Media production. And for everything we do, check out distractionsmedia.com. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. 
Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.